Hello, and welcome to a very special edition of the Fresh Fusion podcast, a weekly show where we discuss the business, the art, the ethics of content creation on the open web. And boy, are we talking about ethics today. <laughs> oh, man, uh, what a week. What a week it has been since the last episode. Uh, and even today... Things are not going as I had planned. Uh, there's no video for this episode because I forgot to charge up my camera's battery. And in addition to that, I actually uh, started recording with my camera, forgot to record my mic, got probably 15 minutes into the show and realized I wasn't recording my mic. <laughs> and by that time, it was out of batteries. So here we are, audio only, re-recording the show. Uh Gosh, yeah, last, last, uh, last Wednesday, it was crazy because um, I'd finished editing the, the podcast episode, I published that, I was feeling really good, and uh, in fact, also had another blog post to publish for a Ruby programming blog I run, so I got that published, it's like, wow, publishing two things in one morning, I'm on top of the world, and then, of course, since I was already on Twitter posting links to things, I just so happened to see the shocking news that our U.S. Capitol building was under siege, under attack, overrun by Trumpsters, Trump supporters, Trumpism taking over the Capitol. It was just absolutely bananas. And I didn't really get anything else done that day. I instead uh, doom-scrolled through Twitter like everyone else and uh, just thought I was losing my mind. Uh, so here we are almost a week later, and I'm not here to get into, you know, the, the political machinations of everything that's going on per se, because I'm not a political commentator. Um, but I, I am here to talk tech because that's what I do. And um, the tech angle to all of this is, is hugely on everyone's minds right now. Um, in fact, it's crazy to me, like the kinds of things that are normally, you know, the conversations we have as geeks on obscure tech podcasts are now mainstream political discourse. You know, you see like people all across the country, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, wading into the conversation around, should Amazon Web Services have uh, canceled their cloud hosting accounts with Parler, <laughs> one of the alternative social networks that rose up lately that uh, became uh, the home for violent right-wing extremists. So, yeah, it's 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 just crazy because you know technology is is completely wrapped up in everything that's going on here. You know, what's the proper role of social networks? What's the proper role of cloud hosting providers and all those sorts of of uh, stuff. So, so I'm going to try to break it down for you, um, and I'm going to start by a little bit of a uh, a personal uh, overview of, of my background and where I come from, because you know everyone's background uh, plays some part in in uh, what their views are on things. Uh, so here's mine. I used to be, drum roll please. I used to be a Christian, evangelical, conservative, Fox News-watching, Rush Limbaugh-listening <laughs> uh, man. 
white man, of course. I used to be, yeah, I used to be in the thick of it. I used to be one of those people. Uh, in fact, uh, probably the, the height of my uh, participation in this community was uh, I, uh, I made phone calls and uh, helped out with the presidential campaign of Mike Huckabee back in 2008. He'd just come off a big win at the Iowa caucuses, and a lot of us grassroots Republicans were excited about his candidacy, and we were uh, trying to get him to become the... Um, the nominee for, uh, you know, the Republican nominee uh, for president. Um, and since then, it's been a, a wild swing <laughs> for me <laughs> away from that world. And, you know, there, there were a few different straws that almost broke the camel's back. But the final straw was definitely the rise of Trump and Trumpism. You know, I, I saw that happening and that was a bridge too far. I, I just could not go there. In fact, not only did I think Trump uh, and the whole Trumpism uh, movement was, was uh, I just thought it was, it was nuts. Um, but, you know, not only that, but I thought that Trump was a con artist from day one. I, I thought his shtick was, was completely ridiculous. I didn't believe a word he said. Uh, I, you know, I thought it was a joke, frankly, like every time, you know, even even before he finally ran for president, you know, there were always rumors, oh, Donald Trump's going to run for president. And I always thought it was a joke. I was like, what, this this weird orange haired rich dude from New York with glitzy hotels and some stupid reality TV show I have no interest in watching uh, is, is going to run for president? Yeah, right. Ha ha. <laughs> yeah, you know, another one of these business people that thinks that, you know, oh, they're just going to waltz into government and, and make everything great because they know business instead of politics because all the politicians are morons. And, you know, that whole line of thinking, there's been a strain of that forever. You know, you've had people you know, way in the past, uh, say Ross Perot, for example. Uh, there's always been this, this line of thinking of, oh, we need, we need a competent businessman to take over the government. Um, so, you know, Donald Trump was self-styled as the competent businessman who could take over government. But I, I thought it was a con job all along. I, I didn't have any faith in the man. Um, so I watched in horror, in horror, as one by one the dominoes fell and I saw all these Christian leaders that I looked up to and respected and thought had principal stands on things uh, just fall in line behind Trump. And, you know, the more dirt that came out on Trump and showing what a truly wretched person he is, uh, they just stood by him. And I'm like, what? I didn't sign up for this. This is not what I thought I was fighting for. So, you know, I had to uh, swing in a different direction. And for a while, I, you know, tried to put myself into the libertarian bucket. I voted for Gary Johnson in the uh, 2000, uh, in the 2016 election because I didn't want to vote for Hillary, and I certainly didn't want to vote for Trump, so I voted third party. Um, but here we are now, and we're seeing the end game, the true end game of Trumpism and where that ideology leads. We're seeing it just totally devolve into... Uh, a bunch of extremists, right-wingers, uh, domestic terrorists, basically. And uh, it's, it's a shame. It's a shame. It's, it's truly shameful in the, in the strongest meaning of that word that it has come to this. 
and that the, the whole world is seeing uh, what's going on here in this, in this country I, I call home. So, you know, when I look at all of these issues, when I look at all these things happening, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not just some, you know, elite liberal looking down my nose at the unwashed masses. I was an unwashed ma- masses. No, that doesn't work. <laughs> I was one of the unwashed masses, as it were. Uh, you know, I was in the thick of it. I, I was that white man, Christian, conservative, evangelical, Republican voting person. And so, you know, I understand that mind. I understand it. And the thing you have to understand about uh, this movement is, you know, it, it, it's built on the back of conspiracy theories. Conspiracy theories are at the heart of everything. And you have to realize this. Um, in fact, I didn't even go into this yet on the first recording. And now that I'm talking about it on this recording, I think, you know, this is really something to, to emphasize. You know, I, I, I was under the impression that, you know, there, there, there was this concerted effort by the liberals, by the atheists, by the gays, by the this, by the that, that, you know, that their, their number one agenda was to destroy the, the very fabric of Christian America. You know, it was Christians versus the atheists and the gays and the whoever's. You know, we're in this grand culture war, and there, it's literally a war because you have, you know, the angelic hosts, <laughs> God's, uh, uh, you know, God's uh, hosts in the angelic realm versus the demonic hordes run by Satan. So, you know, literally, if you were, you know, against what the people of God, what the prophets were saying, you were in league with the devil. You know, that was a real thing that, you know, I, this, this isn't a joke. This isn't a, you know, like, oh, ha ha, league with the devil. That's so silly. I mean, this is what we believed. And, you know, we, we wouldn't necessarily walk up to somebody and say, hey, you, if you're a liberal, you're in league with the devil. It was more like, oh, people are deceived. Like, you know, these are people that have just fallen under deception. So it's our job to, you know, essentially evangelize them into the light. You know, if, if only the, they could see what deception they're under and, you know, come over to the side of, of the, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Um, you know, I followed people like Lance Wallnow, who preached about the seven mountains. You know, there's these seven mountains of culture, and I don't exactly remember them all, but you have things like, you know, the, the mountain of, of education and the mountain of media and the mountain of this, like all these sort of cultural uh, mountains, if you will. Uh, and, you know, the goal was to get God-fearing Christian people installed at the top of all these mountains. And... That's what Trump promised. Trump promised a shortcut. Trump said, hey, you know, you evangelicals out there toiling away, you know, once I become president, it's all going to happen. We're, we're going to take over all these mountains. You know, I know media. We're going to get Christians in the media. I know government. Well, not really. <laughs> I know what the government should be, so I'm going to install uh, Christians in the top, uh, top uh, positions in government. And I know you know, whatever. And, uh, you know, I know business, I know, uh, what our foreign policy should be. And so we're, we're going to get evangelical Christians installed at the, the top uh, positions of all these mountains, if you will, basically. 
So that's uh, that's you know that's what Trump promised, and in some respects, Trump delivered on that promise, and uh, that's that was the end goal apparently of all this. You know, I I thought it, this was an organic thing. I thought like, oh, you know, by you know keeping your head down and diligently you know trying to honor God and trying to live according to your principles, you know, eventually God himself will, you know, bring favor upon you and, and, you know, help you to rise through the ranks. Um, but then Trump came along. He's like, nah, I'm going to do it. And everyone said, okay. So apparently we don't need God. We just need Napoleon. <laughs> you know, the French Revolution happened and then Napoleon came along and said, well, you, you, you kind of need a strong man leader to, you know, rally the troops and, uh, you know, go to war with everyone else and they said okay and so that's what happened with trump you know you had the tea party and the and the extreme evangelicals and they're all like you know we need power and trump came along and said well i'll give you power and they said okay and uh you know cue that famous scene where uh you know satan uh actually came along and uh talked to jesus and said hey you know uh, bow down and worship me and i'll give you all the power so, uh, you know, it begs the question, uh, who's on the side of, of the, the not demonic hordes here after all? Um, but theology aside, um, you know, full disclosure, I, I actually don't uh, believe in much, if not all, of the dramatic supernatural imagery of, um, you know, what people consider to be part of the Christian faith. Um, at best, I'm a progressive Christian um, at worst. I don't know, at worst. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm just an agnostic. Um, I, I oscillate between progressive Christian and agnostic, depending on the, the time of day. I'm feeling pretty agnostic right now, let me just say, because uh, all this, it's hard to stomach all this uh, display of, of white supremacy mixed up with Christian nationalism. Um, but anyway, so that's, you know, lo the long story short here, that's my background. And so I look at all this happening right now, and, you know, the, the, the thing is that the tech companies are really between a rock and a hard place, because, you know, on the one hand, there's this view of like, oh, the tech companies, they're so powerful, they're controlling everything, and the problem is that they haven't, you know, they haven't properly cracked down on all these conspiracy theories and all this neo-Nazi and white supremacy stuff. You know, they've, they've let all this stuff flourish on their platforms and nobody could stop it. So, so you have that viewpoint. On the one hand, these tech companies are powerful because they enable these conspiracy theories and the neo-Nazis and the Trump, you know, extreme Trumpism viewpoints. You know, they just let this run amok. On the other hand, you have people saying, oh, the tech companies, they're so powerful. They're, they're, uh, they're you know, uncontrollable. They're, they're not uh, under the, the, you know, re any regulation or anything. Uh, it, they're cracking down on us conservatives. They're, they're taking our voices away as, as, as the right wing. And they're just doing the bidding of, of liberal elites that are unaccountable. So the problem here is that you can't hold both of those viewpoints simultaneously. Those are completely opposing viewpoints. You can't say the tech companies are too powerful. They haven't gotten rid of the extremists, the neo-Nazis, the, right, the white supremacists, you know, all these QAnon conspiracy theories, blah, blah, blah. You can't say that 
and also say, oh, these tech companies, they're too powerful because they crack down on the conservatives and they're sympathetic to the left and blah, blah, blah. Those two viewpoints are completely in opposition. So we have a problem here where it seems like everyone can agree that Twitter and Facebook and so forth are too powerful and Amazon's too powerful. Uh, who are they accountable to? They can just make whatever decisions they want about you know, who, who's in and out of these platforms. So everyone can seem, you know, seemingly can agree on that. But the, the way to fix it, you have completely opposing viewpoints. You can't tell Twitter and Facebook, hey, get your act together, kick out all the conspiracy theorists and QAnon and, and Trump supporters and white supremacists and blah, blah, blah. You can't tell them that and simultaneously tell them, oh, and while you're at it, <laughs> stop cracking down on the conservatives and, and you know, don't take Trump's uh, account away because that's 1984 censorship and blah, blah, blah. So we have this completely untenable situation where everyone can agree the tech companies are too powerful, but nobody can agree what to do about it. <laughs> uh, so that's what you see playing out right now. You know, if you, look, if you look at what everyone is saying about Twitter and about Facebook and about Amazon with the, you know, the way that Amazon uh, told Parler that they, they had to uh, get off the platform if they couldn't crack down on, on all this extremist rhetoric, you have Google and Apple getting Parler off of their app stores. Um, and in case it's not clear, Parler is, is this social network that rose up lately as sort of the, the anti-Twitter. It's the place where, you know, hey, if, uh, if uh, Twitter's cracking down on your voice, uh, uh, come over here to Parler. We, we stand for free speech. The problem is Parler's stance on free speech was really just code for we're not going to moderate the content here, which means you can go as crazy conspiracy theory as you want. <laughs> and so Parler became, you know, ground zero for the, the kind of rhetoric that uh, kind of destructive anti-democratic rhetoric that uh, led to the violent insurrection at the Capitol. So, you know, we're now in this epic battle, the 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 you know the question of you know what is free speech and what does free speech mean in this digital age where the speech is always happening through some kind of digital platform and you know what is the role of apple what is the role of amazon what is the role of facebook and twitter and all of this so you know again there are no easy answers here there's no immediate uh you know well this is clearly what should happen because you have two viewpoints which are completely in opposite to each other you know everyone's agreed these tech companies are too powerful but nobody can agree what should be done about it so here's my take on it first of all you have to have moderation in communities you just have to. You cannot have a community of discourse of any kind on the internet that is unmoderated because all you do is uh, enable a small minority of trolls to take over and dominate and essentially drive everyone else out. You, you, it just becomes a toxic cesspool. Um, there's a really good episode on the uh, the Upgrade podcast this week, uh, where Jason Snell and Mike Hurley were talking about this very thing. And Jason Snell was talking about how he's been uh, a community moderator in various ways on forums and other places for years. You know, he's hosted various uh, podcast panels on all sorts of topics that sometimes get heated because it's like, you know, 
Star Wars fans talking about Star Wars or something, and <laughs> people might have disagreements, but, you know, so it's, it's often his job in all of these different venues to be the, the voice of reason to say, like, hey, you know, let's, let's take it down a notch, or hey, you know, if you violate that policy one more time, you're out, and all that kind of stuff that moderators do. So, you know, Twitter and Facebook and any of these other platforms, you know, it, it, it's undeniable that they have to have some kind of moderation policy. And, you know, you can, you can quibble as to what that moderation policy is, but they have to have a moderation policy. You can't just let, let it be a free-for-all because, you know, all that will do is make it so that a small group of people just spew the most outrageous you know, inflammatory rhetoric, and and everyone else will leave because they just don't want to deal with that. So, you know, so there's that argument that, you know, you have to curtail the speech of a few people in other, you know, in order to protect the free speech of, you know, the majority of people that are, you know, just trying to, you know, reasonably get along and, and actually, you know, have some kind of intelligent discourse and debate. You know, it's like, you know, if, if you're, uh, you know, if you're at a, a town hall and you have some people up on stage debating, you know, you can't just have random people in the audience shouting whatever. Like, well, of, of course they have the right to free speech, but they don't have the right to free speech, you know, sitting, you know, as audience members where, you know, everyone's there for a debate. Like you have to hear, <laughs> you have to hear the people there who are actually debating uh, otherwise, everyone else just shouting whatever is, is curtailing the free speech of the people who are debating there. So, you know, there's all these situations in real life. You know, you can point to town squares and other places where, you know, or you can, you know, pull out the old, you know, you can't shout fire in a crowded theater sort of thing. Like, you know, there are reasonable curtails of free speech in situations where, you know, the free speech of a tiny number of people, you know, so-called, you know, I'm putting free speech in air quotes here. The free speech of a few people is is destroying the ability for everyone else to exercise their free speech rights. You know, you you have to protect, uh, you know, the the majority of people in these situations. So that's what Twitter and Facebook are finally having to do here. You know, Twitter and Facebook and Amazon are having to protect the 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 you know the safety. And, and the rights of the majority of people, both on their platforms and in this country in general. Because, you know, you, you have to stand against, you know, this minority of, of, you know, trolls at best and violent extremists at worst. So, you know, so that's, that's one line of argumentation I would put out there that, you know, you, you, when, when looking at these issues around free speech, you know, you have to look at sort of this basic question of, you know, do we let the, the free speech rights, so-called, of, of, of a few people, you know, drive everyone else away and essentially enable these, you know, violent extremists? So there's that issue. And then the other issue is, you know, the the only solution that I can think of, of any kind that can, you know, somewhat unite these disparate viewpoints around what to do around tech companies is some kind of oversight, some kind of regulation. The problem is we don't want the government regulating speech, right? <laughs> I mean, that's what the First Amendment is all about. 
Um, you know, so we, we don't want, you know, we don't want some, you know, bureaucrats in Washington or, you know, even, even elected politicians, you know, sending a memo to Mark Zuckerberg saying, Hey, here's what you can have on your platform or not. You know, we don't want, um, you know, either Kevin McCarthy or Nancy Pelosi sending memos to Jack Dorsey on Twitter saying, Hey, you know, here's what you need to do to, uh, take stuff off your platform. So, you know, these companies, you know, what they should have done all along, of course, here is they should have had independent, um, you know, boards of, of people that can review and make policy. And, you know, they've taken steps in this direction. They pay lip service. But, you know, at the end of the day, like, obviously, like, it's up to Jack Dorsey, <laughs> <laughs> he has the final vote here. You know, it's up to Mark Zuckerberg or maybe, you know, Sheryl Sandberg. Um, it's up to them to make that final call of what is or is not on their platform. And, you know, it shouldn't be that. It shouldn't be that. Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and these other platforms are just, you know, they're too big at this point for it to be like that. So, you know, we have to have some kind of regulation, not that it's the government making policies, but it's that, you know, independent oversight boards, you know, made up of reasonable people from a variety of backgrounds, you know, some some kind of of conglomeration that's representative of the demo, uh, the demographics of this country. You know, you have to have uh, something like that, you know, making these final determinations over you know, a, a relatively small amount of content, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, this isn't necessary if people are posting about like, here's my review of the latest Samsung phone or, or, you know, I, I think the latest uh, Star Trek Discovery show sucks. Like, nobody cares about that stuff. You know, nobody's getting, <laughs> nobody's, uh, you know, going to look at, you know, most conversations. And even if it gets a little heated, you know, think this is the end of the world. Uh, you know, the problem really is, you know, when it when it gets into issues around politics and around, uh, you know, things like racism, white supremacy, hate speech, you know, being uh, virulently anti-gay or whatnot, um, you know, these, these issues where it, it's really, you know, us against them, scorched earth kind of rhetoric. Um, and, you know... Again, like in, in these areas where these platforms do have enormous ability to, to influence and control discourse, you have to have independent oversight. You just have to. Um, the, the question is, you know, who provides that independent oversight? I don't think that should be the government. You know, I definitely don't think that should be the government. I, do, I don't think the United States government or any other nation's government should be you know, is qualified to or should be in the job of policing content. But clearly, these tech companies can't police their own content. You know, they, they have proven, you know, completely inadequate uh, to to do the proper job of what they need to do here. And now every everyone, everyone, everyone is mad about it. Uh, so, you know, the, the way I see it, that the only the only solution here is, you know, government-sponsored regulation that says tech companies need to be able to set up and rely on independent review boards around these sorts of things. Because, you know, 
when questions come up, like, do, do we need to remove the Twitter account for the president of the United States? Like, I'm much more comfortable with an independent review board made up of people from, you know, all uh, walks of life and, you know, various places along the ideological spectrum in politics, you know, Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians, Green Party people, whatever, white people, black people, Latinos, Asians, uh, you know, straight people, gay people, trans, like, you know, if you have representative, um, you know, demographics from, from all over the spectrum, you know, coming to some kind of group consensus and, and offering those, um, you know, mandates to the platform in question, I'm much, I feel much more comfortable about that than I do, you know, did Jack Dorsey vote to take Trump off? <laughs> Did Mark Zuckerberg vote to take Trump off? Did um, Susan, uh, I apologize, I forget her last name, CEO of YouTube, you know, is she going to vote now to take somebody off? You know, that that's the situation we, we just do not want to be in. We do not want to be in that situation. Um, and, you know, the same thing with uh, questions like, should Amazon Web Services continue to host something like Parler? You know, I think, uh, you know, having having some uh, some folks <laughs> up in uh, Washington State somewhere at Amazon headquarters, you know, deliberating in a boardroom somewhere like, gee, should we uh, kick Parler off our hosting platform? You know, that that's that's concerning. That is concerning. I, I absolutely agree with it. I, I fundamentally 100% agree with what they did, you know, in, in the, you know, in the on the ground, here's what's happening sense of the word. But on principle, like, should companies like Amazon have the power to just kick uh, folks off their hosting platform that, you know, are suddenly, uh, you know, not in the good graces of society at large, like, I think society at large, quote unquote, should be the 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 determining factor here, not, you know, a few people, you know, employed by Amazon in a boardroom somewhere making that determination. Um, and, you know, you you, uh, you see even the ACLU, which is, you know, often you 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 see people, you know, out there from the conservative side of things saying the ACLU is a bunch of liberals and blah, blah. But uh, ACLU lawyer. Ben Wisner, um, just a day ago, uh, there was a quote from him saying, given the events of the last week, it is understandable that no company would want to be associated with the repellent speech that is now rampant. But there's a difference between a social media platform like Twitter, which is a speech community deciding who its members are and what its guidelines should be, and a company like Amazon that really holds the keys to the internet. There will be times when large majorities of people want to expel speech that is genuinely important. So I think we should encourage, in a broad sense, companies like Amazon to embrace neutrality principles so that there can be a diversity of voices online. You know, in other words, like, you know, it, it's always, it's always, uh, <laughs> it always seems right at the time to, you know, to ban all the people that are saying terrible things uh, until you end up on the side that's being banned, right? So, you know, Seeing Amazon ban Parler today, you know, seems to make sense. But what if tomorrow Amazon were to ban some other group of people, some other social network or whatever that, um, you know, is, it, that that seems way more problematic because, um, 
you know, times change, leadership at companies change, and, you know, what if Amazon gets taken over by conservatives and they don't like a liberal social network and they ban it, right? So there's, you know, there's all these issues around, you know, who's, who's controlling speech and who's controlling, uh, you know, what gets put on the internet at large. So again, there's, there's no easy answer here, and that's what everyone is saying, um, but you know, there, there has to be an answer eventually. And I'm, you know, I'm just putting it out there that uh, I do think uh, social media platforms, and I do think hosting platforms like Amazon, uh, I think they have a right to determine who they associate with and who they do business with and who they want on their platforms. Uh, the problem is, you know, the the right that companies have, I think, you know, kind of diminishes with size. You know, if you're if you're Joe Blow hosting platform uh, LLC in you know some particular city, and you know, <laughs> and you're making decisions about you know who you want to host or whatever, like somebody can go to you know a thousand other hosting companies. You know, if you if you have you know whatever blog and you're like, hey, sign up and post things on the blog. And then you're like, hey, I don't like what you're posting. I'm kicking you off my blog. Like, you know, so what? Who cares? But once you're the size of Twitter, once you're the size of Facebook, once you're the size of Amazon Cloud, Amazon Web Services, um, you know, I, I think uh, you're at the size where you kind of lose uh, to a certain degree the right to unilaterally make these sorts of decisions. I think you're at the size where you need to be regulated. Um, and again, I, I'm, I'm a little nervous about regulation because I don't think it should be up to governments to, uh, you know, to step in and override these sorts of things. I, I think there needs to be some kind of independent oversight that is uh, neither uh, part of the corporation nor part of the government per se. But that's, uh, you know, that's going to be tricky. It's, it's, there's, it's no doubt a very hard problem to solve here. Um, but that's, you know, that's my line of thinking at this time, subject to change. So, uh, so there you have it. Uh, thanks for tuning into this special edition and difficult edition of for the Fresh Fusion podcast. If you have thoughts around these topics of free speech and social media and web hosting and what should be done, what can be done. Um, you know, please feel free to uh, share that with me either by uh, emailing the show. Just go to jaredwhite.com and send me a message there. Or um, if you want to have a more public discourse, I am, of course, on Twitter. Yes, I'm on Twitter. <laughs> Speaking of the devil, um, you can find me on Twitter at Jared C. White. You can also find this podcast in your podcast directory of choice, um, particularly uh, Apple Podcasts. Uh, if you could leave a review there, that would be super helpful. All right, that's it for today's show, and I will see you next time. Bye. <laughs>